everybody. Welcome back to Engaging the Phenomenon. And today we are honored to have our guest, Sean Esbion Hargens. Welcome, Sean. Hey, great to be here, James. Totally excited to explore and see where we go in our conversation. Yeah. And so people may be familiar that uh, you actually attended uh, one of our conferences and inquiry into uh, anomalous experiences and the phenomenon. Uh, but you're also well noted for founding something called the Exo Studies Institute. So yeah. can you, um, just so people watching and listening can have an idea, give a little background on uh, yourself, maybe some of your background in education and how, how you got involved with discussing subjects like uh, Exo Studies and, and the UFO phenomenon. Yeah, for sure. So I was very involved with integral theory, um, an approach developed by an American philosopher named Ken Wilber. And it has a strong emphasis on the non-dual contemplative traditions. It develops a number of frameworks for basically integrating and including a lot of different types of insight and wisdom from, you know, all kinds of disciplines. So it's kind of a, a meta interdisciplinary approach. And so, you know, this was my main professional focus. I was running a graduate school program, a master's degree online in this, as well as a campus-based program in integral psychology. And in the integral psychology program, for example, we studied like 10 major different schools of psychology and really looked at what are the insights about the human being that each of these schools bring to the table and where do they go wrong in assuming that their approach is the best approach or the only approach or whatever, right? So we, you know, like these different kind of camps, right? And why does that happen? And like, how do we take an integral approach to really benefit? Because the human being is a very complex, you know, reality. And each of these schools of thought have some really amazing insight about the nature of, of human minds and hearts and and how we operate, how we, you know, deal with trauma, how we transform and develop over time, right? So I've always been interested in like these big kind of integrative approaches to topics. And, you know, just like another example, my PhD, which is you know, focused on environmental studies, I use this kind of approach to look at ecology and environmental science and identified 200 different schools of thought, 80 of which are schools of ecology. Like we often think that like there's one school of ecology, like, oh, there's ecology. No, there's behavioral ecology, there's evolutionary ecology, there's community dynamics ecology, you know, there's systems ecology. And all of them have like a different view of how to understand, you know, organisms in relationship to their environment. And kind of my attitude was, the earth is on fire, <laughs> we got to do something. Each of these different schools of ecology have something important to tell us about how we might work together to create a better world and preserve the natural environment, right? And um, so I, this is what I was doing, right? This was my life. And I've been a long-term meditator, um, particularly Tibetan Buddhism and uh, you know um, contemplative Christianity and diamond approach and diamond approach is kind of a on a, a school of practice that hms has developed um, it's very popular in the boulder area in colorado and in the san francisco area in california um, my wife's actually become a teacher in that tradition um, so i've been working in a number of different contemplative traditions thinking big pictures 
And, um, and through a series of experiences, I basically started having um, encounters with non-human intelligences. And so then I was like trying to make sense of this. Like, okay, what's going on? Um, and, you know, and I connected, I started, because in my integral community, you know, even though it was integral, it didn't include this piece, right? It did not include the UFO phenomenon, ETs, or even nature intelligences or angels, celestial beings. Um, so in spite of its integral approach, there were important parts of reality in effect it was leaving out. And, and so this led me to start to share more with people my experiences. And as I did, a lot of people in my community were saying, I've also had an experience like that, or I've had an experience like this. And I was really surprised. I was like, oh my gosh, these are people I've known for 10 years and 15 years. And they've never told me basically their contact experiences, even though we've shared kind of every other kind of experience. Like we talk about our ayahuasca trips or our, you know, intense Tibetan Buddhist experiences. And, and so I got really curious, like, why are we not talking about our contact experiences? And that led me to create, you know, the Exo Institute, Exo Studies Institute, because I wanted to start to offer courses online. I wanted to create a space to develop an integral framework for talking about the phenomenon and kind of coming up with, you know, you know, my version of an integral approach to the phenomenon that does not get stuck in any one camp that keeps asking fresh questions, introduces new concepts and distinctions. And so over the last few years, I've had a number of like six month and one year courses with anywhere from 50 to 100 people. And, you know, one of the longer courses, the 12 month course, there was a bibliography of 650 books that were informing the, the year, you know, and the lectures that I was giving each week. I gave 42 talks that drew on these 650 books just in an effort to say, look, here's all the stuff that's been written about these different topics. We have to get more familiar with the range of viewpoints out there and try and bring it together because the phenomenon is so mysterious, it's so confusing, it's so elusive that we kind of need all hands on deck. Like we need, you know, every perspective is a worthwhile perspective that we need to consider, um, you know, and so that's kind of, you know, led me down this path. And I've just found the more I've shared and talked about all of this, how common and ubiquitous um, anomalous experiences are and contact experiences are, and that's given me a lot of courage to just keep kind of putting myself out there. And, and I eventually, you know, a year ago was able to launch a new master's and PhD program in integral noetic sciences, which is essentially the, you know, scientific study of consciousness. But within that program, there's a concentration you can do on anomalous studies or exo studies or UFO studies, however you want to think about it. And we can explore these topics and issues. And so we have a number of experiencers in the program and I'm excited to have more join the program so that we can do new kinds of research, you know, like the CE5 contact, um, you know, stuff we were talking about before we began the call here today. So I'm, I'm really interested to see where this goes because I think a lot's gonna happen over the next couple of years and you know and so i'm i'm ready i'm ready to just help people think about the phenomenon and contact 
in a more heartfelt and intellectual and somatic way and just ask more powerful questions about how do we hold all of this together because the phenomenon does not fit in any box very easily, right? There's so many elements mixed into it. And I just think this is so exciting philosophically, uh, cosmologically, um, you know, scientifically to, to be engaged with the phenomenon, exploring it and having it in a sense be a teacher of what is the nature of reality. And, and this is what really led me into Dharma and contemplative practice. I really want to be able to open to the nature of reality without any filters, right? You know, just pure experience in a sense, right? And Dharmakaya, and, you know, and just, um, and I think the phenomenon is, is also a path, engaging the phenomenon is also a path for opening up to the nature of reality. Right. And, you know, so, you know, and so, yeah, I'll stop there. But, yeah, that's kind of, you know, part of my, you know, biography of kind of how I ended up here. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I joke, I joke around sometimes. I say, you know, engaging the phenomenon, you know, sometimes contact experiences or can be a catalyst to a greater awakening, you know, yeah. as, you know, it's. They often you know, are. Yeah. Having a close encounter is. It, you know, it's similar in a sense of having a spontaneous awakening or a spontaneous out-of-body experience and that it's an experience that you have that, that, you know, bridges to something to much greater. I mean, usually you have an experience like that and you are sure of the experience and that you had it and yeah. it, it can really have a, a transformative quality to it where you're, Again, it's not it's not just about say the UFO or the encounter or the out of body experience. It it's point it demonstrates something firsthand, something much bigger, greater, deeper, so to speak. Um, but regarding regarding some of those uh, the courses you mentioned and and the books, what what might be some books? Uh, what might be the range? And what might be what does the curriculum look like? Um, that, that you have put together in kind of trying to, you know, from the integral approach, look at the, the UFO phenomenon and, and anomalous experiences in general. Yeah. So, you know, on the website, exostudies.org, um, there's a resource tab and you can go there and there's actually a document you could download that has the bio bibliography of the 650 books. Um, you know, so that resource is available and it's organized by different categories. In the article I wrote a couple years ago called Our Wild Cosmos and Cosmos with a K, um, there's an appendix that, appendix that lists 150 disciplines and it's organized by uh, academic um, disciplines, philosophical and academic disciplines, um, UFO and space um, you know, disciplines and then paranormal and esoteric disciplines. And there's kind of roughly like 50 in each category. So part of my integral approach is to, you know, look at, you know, kind of traditional academic philosophical, um, you know, schools of thought, you know, look at space studies, you know, um, exoplanet science, you know, study research, as well as the ufological research. And then the paranormal and esoteric traditions and contemplative traditions, 
And I really feel we need to be drawing on all three of those kind of domains of knowledge acquisition, right? And so I think sometimes in the UFO space, people will just draw on the UFO literature and maybe the esoteric literature. But there's a lot of amazing resources and people doing really good work in these other domains. They might not always be contactees or having anomalous experiences, but they're developing frameworks, they're developing research that I think is very easily used and, and put into service of exploring and understanding reality and the nature of the phenomenon. So a lot of you know, my work is to kind of find those connections and, and the ways we can kind of you know, repurpose good work that's been done in other domains um, and kind of bring it into an exostudies context to study and explore the phenomenon. Um, you know, the range of books is, is quite vast, you know, everything, you know, and it's also in terms of the phenomena, it's not just looking at the UFO ET stuff, it's looking at people's encounters with celestial beings, people's encounters with nature intelligences or DMT entities. You know, it's like, it's like looking at, you know, ghosts, you know, looking at precognitive experiences, you know, looking at studies on telepathy and psychokinesis, right? It's looking at the full range of paranormal and anomalous experiences because, and this is why I love the UFO topic. It basically contains all of that, right? It's like everything you can imagine is like kind of found in the UFO experience, right? You know, you know whether it's cryptological, whether it's, you know, social cultural dynamics, whether it's political or military, it's just kind of like, you know, Kripo even refers to this as a wastebasket problem, that basically just everything is just thrown into this pile of stuff, you know, and it's just like, and we're like sorting through it. And, you know, obviously that's kind of a challenge for us, but it's also exciting because, you know, as we were talking about before, it's like there's this interrelatedness across these phenomenon. And so that's why I feel we need this multidisciplinary, metadisciplinary approach. And we're starting to see inroads, like there is more academic interest and scientific interest in exploring the phenomenon. And so I'm really wanting to create, you know, an, an educational space where we can explore the phenomenon without reducing it, right? Because I think often in scientific or academic contexts, the phenomenon gets reduced or squeezed out because of those approaches tend to be very conservative in a sense. But at the California Institute for Human Science, which is where I'm based, it's in San Diego, um, but it's on an online program because I live in Maine. <laughs> you know, there's, you know, I'm teaching a course next year on UFO and consciousness. So like, what's the relationship between consciousness and UFOs? Um, I, you know, I'm, this next quarter I'm teaching a course on varieties of non-duality. So we're looking at how does different traditions talk about non-duality? Taoism, Buddhism, Hinduism, you know, Neoplatonism, you know, Western philosophy. And I'm also teaching a course on animal consciousness, right? So, I mean, how wild to be, you know, in a program where you can take a course on animal consciousness and varieties of non-duality, right? Um, <laughs> Next year, I'm also going to probably teach a course on artificial intelligence and alien consciousness, where like half of the, the course will be looking at the examples of artificial intelligence in terms of sentience and, and capacity, but then also looking at what can we say about alien consciousness, like the psychology 
of ET, if you will, right? Or the psychology of non-human intelligences. Like what in the experiencer literature or other sources give us some insight into the psychology or the consciousness of these other beings? And then by studying AI intelligence, you know, and, and, and alien intelligence, like what does that tell us about the nature of consciousness in general? What does that tell us about human consciousness? Right. So these are some of the courses that, you know, are offered in the, the master's degree and PhD program. In, you know, a few weeks, I'm launching a new six month course in, in Exo Studies Foundations. And in and this is an online public program. It's only like four hundred ninety five dollars. So it's really cheap. I mean, a lot of one day seminars, you know, cost that, you know, yeah. so this is for six months. And, and I've priced it really low so that, you know, pretty much anyone can join. And there's also, you know, a few scholarships for people who, you know, might even find that price point, you know, not easy. And, and there we're looking at these 10 to 15 core concepts I've been developing over the last few years. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, So in these public courses, I've been developing these integral concepts like um, metadisciplinarity is one, like we are just talking about that, like how do we draw on all these disciplines? I have this koan that I often use of taking things seriously, holding them lightly, right? So like what's our epistemological orientation? What's our mindset with engaging the phenomenon and studying the phenomenon or our own experiences, right? Like you were saying, You've had all these experiences, but you're still somewhat agnostic as to the exact nature of them, right? Did it really happen? Is it archetypal? Is it symbolic? Is it metaphorically? Is it, you know, like, and maybe it's a little bit of all of that, or maybe it's multiple elements of that, right? So kind of what's our mindset, you know, so I have these concepts. And if you go to exostudies.org and you click on the course page, look at the new course, um, you know, Exo Studies Foundations. On that course page, there is a list of the 15 concepts with a kind of short description of them. So, you know, this six month program is going to be diving into one of those concepts every for two weeks. So, for two weeks, we'll just go deep into galactic post humanism. And then the, after that, we'll dive into multi um, dimensional embodiment. And then we'll spend two weeks on doubleness, you know, and then we'll spend two weeks on, you know, another concept, right? So, and in that process, I'm going to kind of be drawing again on those 650 books that I was talking about before. Um, and I'm going to be writing chapters because I've set this course up to allow me to write my next book, right? And so I'm going to be sending out a chapter, one chapter for each of these concepts, and then getting feedback and engagement from the participants. And we already have um, 65 people signed up for the, the course. So it's going to be a great course, a lot of dialogue. And people are coming into it, and this is true for the master's and doctoral program, from a wide range of backgrounds, you know, Christians, Buddhists, Marxists, New Agers, you know, agnostics, you know, and people who have had a wide range of anomalous experiences, not just necessarily ET or ufological. Um, and then some people have not had any experience and they're just interested and open to understanding and exploring the phenomenon, right? And so my courses are kind of this interesting combination of like very intellectual, trying to like make sense of all of this and, and connect it to the literatures and the research. 
and then also very heart-based, you know, and really making space for people's questions and doubts and experiences and, and just really being witnesses to each other in holding the mystery. And you, um, you mentioned the, the paper, Our Wild Cosmos. Yeah. Can you explain to people what, what you tried to, to do with that paper? Yeah. So that paper kind of emerged out of my first year of teaching um, the exostudies material. And so as I was grappling with all of those books and in weekly conversations with a community of 50 plus people, I started you know, formulating these different concepts that I'm now kind of teaching more explicitly in the next course. But one of the core questions that drives that paper is what is the what it's philosophically referred to, what is the ontological status of non-human intelligences, right? In other words, are they real? And if they're real, in what sense are they real? So the paper is really trying to understand and explore what's the range of non-human intelligences that seem to be reported in the various literatures? How many different kinds are there? You know, where do they come from in a sense? What are their different motives and intentions? Like if we if we do a meta-analysis of the experiencer literature, what does it tell us about the our wild cosmos? And our wild cosmos is a phrase I use to refer to the fact that we live in this multi-dimensional multiverse that's highly populated with a variety of different expressions of intelligence, right? Some are humanoid, some are non-humanoid. Um, you know, some are flesh and blood, some are energetic, some are in different dimensions, some are here and been here a long time, right? So it's like there's this full range of, of possibilities. And, you know, even when you talk about grays, it seems that there's, you know, several different dozen types of grays. There's not just grays, yeah. right? You know, or if you talk about Nordics, right, or even reptilians, right? We often use these words and kind of assume it's like a singular um, you know, group or species or race, but the experiencer literature actually suggests it's much more diverse and dynamic than that. There's, there's a lot going on. So how, how do we come to terms with that? And so the paper kind of introduces a number of concepts about how do we talk about the realness, the ways in which these other beings are real, um, and how might we consider that and explore that? And so I introduce a number of concepts in that paper. In that paper, you can get to it if you go to the new course page. Um, somewhere on that page, there's a link that takes you to Our Wild Cosmos, and you can download it. It's about 50 pages long. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to include links in the description so okay. people can access it easily. And you mentioned your, your next book. And uh, yeah. do you have a, you have a series of books coming out? I do. Yeah. It's like, I often tend to be working on multiple projects simultaneously. Um, you know, so there's, there's kind of three exo study books that, that, you know, I'm kind of working on and I have been working on for several years. So I, I have the, you know, outlines and chapters, you know, kind of sketched out. I have, you know, a lot of content in rough draft form, you know, so, so yeah, so that, and this, you know, after I do this book, there's another one that I want to really focus on, you know, um, probably next year. After after the three books or after the the initial first one? After I get this first one, I'm going to use the six month Exo Studies um, Foundations course to kind of finalize the manuscript. And then I'll probably 
do a similar course the following year on um, basically kind of an, an integral cosmology. Um, you know, the, this book I'm working on now is um, basically Exostudies Foundations, you know, key concepts for, for the development of an integral theory of anomalous realities. And so each chapter, like 20 plus pages, introduces a different concept, right? And these concepts I kind of think of as key tools that we need to be able to talk about the phenomenon in better ways. And then the next book is going to be on uh, an integral cosmology. What's the cosmology that we need to be able to hold and contain all of this? You know, so that draws on the indigenous cosmologies. It draws on some of the quantum, you know, physics material that's been coming out the last two decades, right? It's like because we have this scientific materialist cosmology that is insufficient to basically describe our wild cosmos. So the second book really kind of looks at how do we need to understand the nature of our, our, our multidimensional multiverse in order to make room for all of these beings, all of these anomalous experiences, and you know, and so what would that look like and how, how can the work that's been done prior by indigenous communities, by you know, quantum physicists, how might that point to some of the elements that could be part of a new vision of an integral cosmology. And so the second book is going to focus on that. The other book is called What's Up With UFOs, and it's based on a website that Tom Kern and I put together, and it's going to be kind of like the smart person's guide to UFOs and, and extraterrestrials. And it's going to be more of kind of an introductory kind of fun book um, that you know, um, but anyway, so those are some of the projects I'm working on. Yeah, that sounds really cool. And uh, in in regards to all that, you know, first, uh, you know, what what is the subtle body, and and what is the relevance or importance of the subtle body when it comes to the phenomenon and anomalous experiences? Yeah. So this is one of the areas I'm most interested in, and it's just kind of emerged over my kind of integral study of the phenomenon. Early on, like a year into this process, there I started to notice a pattern with the phenomenon, and that there were certain qualities that kept showing up. Um, one is that there's lights involved. There's some kind of light phenomenon is often involved. There's some kind of energy. There's electromagnetic energies often described. Um, you know, either the car battery draining out, or the watch dying, or the camera equipment, or people's own energetic, you know, experiences, um, you know, out-of-body experiences, and you know, so forth. Intelligence that the phenomena is intelligent, and there's an experience and a perception of intelligence in various ways in relationship to the phenomenon. Um, and it's participatory, like it, it's it's in deep dialogue, it's in deep relationship with us. So these four qualities, I mean, there's others we can name, but as I would read through the experiencer literature, as I would reflect on my own experiences, I kept seeing these four qualities. It's intelligent, lights are involved, energy's involved, and it's participatory. And so I started looking more at the energy piece, like, okay, what's the energy piece? And I started noticing that after people would have an encounter, not even necessarily a UFO ET encounter, I mean, definitely there, but even like, you know, um, like a car crash where they have an out of body experience 
or a encounter with what they perceived as a ghost, right? Um, that when people have these anomalous experiences and when there's a trigger event that kind of catalyzes an anomalous experience, then there's often subsequent to that more anomalous experiences that seem to involve energy and telepathy and, you know, essentially what the, the contemplative traditions refer to as the subtle body. And so when you look at the subtle body systems described by the contemplative traditions, and this is like the Hindu system, the Buddhist system, you know, the, you know, Egyptian system, you know, um, many indigenous systems and shamanic systems, they will describe anywhere from three to nine bodies that we have, in addition to the physical body, that there are these subtler bodies. And many of the, these traditions basically claim, and I think accurately, it's in my experience, that different bodies enable you to access different dimensions of reality. So for instance, a lot of healers, people who are involved in healing modalities like Reiki or hands-on healing, like different forms of energetic healing, they often are accessing the what's called the etheric body. And so they're getting into their etheric body, they're activating their etheric body, and then they're working on the etheric body in their client, right? And so it's kind of, and it's kind of like a tuning fork. It's like they're activating that layer in them, and that allows them to perceive, experience, and interact with that layer of the, the, the human being that they're in service of. In our dreams, where we tend to be in our astral body, when we have near-death experiences, we tend to be in our astral or even our mental or causal body. Right, so different experiences of the phenomenon, what I started to notice in myself and in the literature, seem to be related to the experiences that were occurring in different bodies, right? And, and with different bodies come different modes of perception and different types of access to reality. And so this became really fascinating to me of like, okay, if we wanna have contact, if we are having contact, then what bodies are we in? and what modes of perception are available to us in those bodies. Because each body in effect has its own chakra system and that chakra system in that body has different modes of kind of perception, right? So like clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, you know, there's these different, you know, clairs that we have and can activate. And, and they seem to be related to different bodies in some cases. So a lot of the research that I've been doing has been exploring this and I'm actually launching this super experiencer anomalous cognition research, gonna be global. And we're gonna you know, basically get about 5,000 people to do the survey. From that, we'll do in-depth interviews with you know, 100 plus people. And from that, we'll probably do um, more in-depth work with about 50 people doing brain imaging and subtle body research to understand you know, what makes people who are experiencing multiple different types of anomalous experience, what's allowing them to do that? Like, you know, kind of what, you know, and this connects with some of the research that Gary Nolan has done, and Gary's agreed to be an advisor to the research I'm doing. Um, there's a number of other interesting people who you would know of that are, are getting involved with the research. I'm connecting with the John Mack Institute and connecting with their database. Right. And so so there's a lot of interest in like, you know, not just what are, you know, the brains that, you know, and the, you know, kind of basal ganglia and kind of what might be going on there, 
but also I'm very interested in like, what are the subtle body systems that, that are involved? And how can we then use the contemplative traditions and there as a resource for working with and cultivating, activating the subtle body systems as a form of, of CE5, as a form of contact, right? And as a way of building up our capacity to have contact with a wider range of non-human intelligences through the subtle body work. Yeah. And that, you know, that's, that's incredibly fascinating. I can't wait to, to see that emerge. Uh, when, when is that study going to begin and, or is, and yeah, how's the, how's the, the, I guess the public going to stay informed on that say? Yeah. So I'm hoping to launch it in the next three months or so. Um, I'm right now I'm kind of getting the advisory team in place. Um, we have a proposal. Um, we have some initial funding, um, you know, so, so we're just kind of laying the groundwork. There will be a website um, that will, you know, give updates and people can go to and, you know, fill out the survey, right? So, um, and I imagine once I get it up and running, I'll probably do a, a round of podcast interviews to kind of get the word out, you know, and let people know that this is happening and how they can participate. And this is also, you know, for people who are in the PhD or master's degree program, you know, this is one of the projects they can be involved in and, and help with the actual research, right? And so I'm wanting to get experiencers to help me design the research. So it's, it's research on experiencers by experiencers, right? And so I've talked with Jay King about using the experiencer group as kind of a, a feedback system for reviewing some parts of the research design, right? Because I really want experiencers to feel safe and heard and seen and feel like this research is supporting their process and their experience and helping all of us as a community to ask better questions about the phenomenon and the contact with the phenomenon, right? And, and as, you know, an experiencer myself in my own ways, it feels really important to me that this is like a holistic research project that really takes into account the experiencer perspective, you know, at kind of each phase in the process. Yeah, I, um, I'm really, I think that's long been needed. So, uh, you know, thank you so much for, you know, spearheading and taking part in that, that kind of work. I think it's super important and super relevant. And I, I actually think it kind of goes hand in hand with what we're seeing emerge globally now with what people can call confirmation and, you know, yeah. uh, Although there are other variables and factors involved with that, that, that makes that complex within itself. Um, there is a genuine opening of awareness to these subjects. And, you know, there's a lot of people to thank for that, for sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, regarding some of that, you, you mentioned uh, super experiencers. So can, can you... Can you describe what a super experiencer is? Yeah. So um, super experiencer, and I'm still kind of in the process of fine tuning the, the technical definition, but just kind of informally, it is anyone who has multiple different types of anomalous experience, right? So they, you know, might have ET contact, they might have um, the experience of dead people coming and talking to them. They might have precognitive dreams. They might have a few um, Bigfoot sightings in, in their life. 
Um, they could be a super experiencer, you know, a lifelong super experiencer, you know, where they've had different phases of phenomenon, you know, throughout their life, or they might have had an event in their 20s or 30s or 40s, and then they kind of became a super experiencer thereafter. But basically, I want to get beyond the camps, right? And so I don't, my experience in the past has been talking with people who experience nature spirits. And then they, they haven't had any other experiences necessarily. We're talking with people who've only experienced, you know, certain types of ET contact, but haven't had other types of experiences. And, and I think that's all valid and important, but I'm interested in how the phenomena, all these different phenomena are connected. And so I'm, I'm very curious about why do some people only experience angels and some people experience elemental beings and some people only have Bigfoot sightings. Um, and so, and then what's going on that some people seem to have a real mix of a lot of different types of experiences, right? So I'm wanting to study and understand super experiencers, people like Chris Bledsoe, who have such a wide range of experiences, because in a sense, to me, they represent what Kripal might refer to as like a superhuman, right? Like as a person who's activated all these other perceptual capacities and they're perceiving multiple anomalous phenomenon, right? And so, so I'm just very interested as a starting point in research. Let's start there. Let's start with people, these individuals who have a wide range of anomalous experiences um, and, and don't kind of fit into like, oh, they just have this kind of experience or that kind of experience. It's like, it's like we don't know what to do with these people because the range of phenomena they're encountering is so mind boggling, like it just kind of, it, it just throws our current models of reality out the window, right? So I want to investigate and understand that, that more. Yeah, and it's not not quite the same, but a, a good friend of mine, Dr. Joseph Burks, had uh, dubbed the term prime contactees. And, right, yeah. And it was, you know, more along the lines of somebody who was almost recruited by, by UFO intelligence in a way right. and, and, and groomed for not, not only contact, but communicating the, the reality of, of contact in different ways and being able to demonstrate the relationship with the UFO phenomenon in a way to you know, introduce it to the world, open, open people's minds and facilitate contact experiences. Um, so that's an interesting uh, correlation, so to speak. Um, so regarding um, Dharma and meditation, people here will know I'm super interested and involved with all that. Yeah. Uh, you are as well. So do you, have you seen, uh, you know, either in your own experience or by interacting with uh, other experiencers and individuals involved in anomalous experiences and anomalous studies, um, the, the kind of relevance or, or utilization of what we can consider Dharma and Dharma practices in regards to anomalous experiences and the phenomenon. Yeah, this area, I think, is underexplored. And I and it's partly why, you know, in integral noetic sciences and the program that I'm doing, 
we're, we're really looking at and exploring these intersections because I think the contemplative traditions and Dharma has a lot to offer us with understanding consciousness, the nature of mind, um, the psychic capacities, the cities that emerge often through meditative practice and, and um, the traditions. And yet there's a way in which I think, especially in the Western context, you know, a lot of the kind of contact aspects of practice have been like kind of siphoned out. It's like they've been sanitized out of the tradition, right? So we have almost like this secular Western rational Buddhism. When I've talked with Rinpoche's and Lamas in the Tibetan tradition, on a number of occasions, they've shared with me how like during a Kalashakra puja, gray aliens showed up and, you know, they just ignored them or told them to go away. <laughs> now, you know, I've also heard, you know, shamans talk about how in their, you know, ayahuasca ceremonies, sometimes gray aliens will show up and they just ignore them, right? And so, you know, so it's interesting that, you know, and these lamas and rinpoches, when I talk to them about it, they kind of like are nonchalant. They're like, yeah, there's ETs, there's, you know, these beings that you call greys and there's other beings and we're aware of them. But, you know, that's not what we're doing. Like, we're, we're just focused on this, right? So it's kind of like there's an acknowledgement of that layer of reality, but it's, it's not, not a focal point of the tradition so much, you know. And, you know, and I know that, you know, John Churchill, for instance, is a, you know, an up-and-coming teacher in, in um, the Tibetan Buddhist context. And he's, you know, in conversations with me, he's shared his interest in kind of this larger galactic context. And he's developing what he's calling a planetary dharma, right? And he, you know, and so I think there's there's an emerging interest on this intersection of dharma and the phenomenon. And, you know, and there's been a couple books that have been written, you know, about, you know, Buddhism, the mind and the paranormal. You know, so I think there's an initial, you know, kind of set of, you know, explorations that are happening. But I, I think it's it's so ripe for more engagement and like having more serious meditators who are having anomalous experiences talk about it. And part of when I get on the soapbox, it's usually around this point that a lot of meditators are dissuaded from talking about their anomalous experiences because it's seen by the traditions often as a distraction from awakening. And while I can appreciate kind of the initial orientation of that, I think it's very outdated and I think it's problematic. And, and I really want to advocate an engagement with the contemplative traditions that makes room for and is curious about these experiences, this, these phenomenon, these anomalous realities. Um, and I think we kind of need to integrate them more, right? Um, because when I'm hanging out with my Buddhist friends, they don't want to talk about ET. Right. And sometimes when I'm hanging out with my CE5, you know, ET friends, they're interested in Buddhism, but they don't really know what to do with it or they don't see how it's related to disclosure. You know, so I, I, I want to create a deeper dialogue. And, you know, I think there's some interesting things to explore at the intersection of, of these currents. Yeah. And I think I think there's so much there. I mean, you know, regarding uh, meditation practice or Dharma practice you know, not only potentially could you use that technology to have contact experiences or do human initiated contact events or do CE5. Um, but it, it's so applicable, uh, 
and in a practical way, uh, you know, also in kind of review and contemplation of your contact experiences you may have, or, or even if you're just trying to cope and, and come to terms with the, the idea of, of UFOs being real, right? You, these are methods you can use to kind of ground yourself and, um, put things into perspective. So I, I think there's such a, such a range of application in, in, uh, in Dharma and meditation practice in regards to UFOs and CE5 and contact and anomalous experiences. Um, and in, in regards to some of that, do you have, um, any of your, your own approach or thoughts on CE5 and, and contact work? Yeah, I've, I've done a little bit of it. Uh, I know a lot of people have done a lot. I know you've been very involved in that. And, you know, I think it's it's an exciting area. And I'm glad it's kind of like, for a while, it was just kind of Greer's thing. I'm glad that it's diversifying and there's a lot more, um, you know, things happening. And, you know, the stuff you were sharing with me earlier that you're working on, I think is like crucial. Like, I you know, the whole idea of human-initiated contact, I feel is an important part of this next step. And I'm in a way yeah. it's like, I, don't, I feel like, like disclosure and discovery and confirmation is going to happen kind of in equal measure to the emergence and of, of CE five protocols and initiatives and efforts, right? Like I see them as kind of going hand in hand in a sense. Um, you know, so, you know, the, I think, you know, yeah, you know, I, at the Moreau Institute, we did the, the, five days of sky watching, you know, with Chris and others. And that, that was fascinating, um, you know, doing the video recording of the sky and doing, you know, the Moreau work during the day and doing other kind of, you know, anomalous experiences to kind of create the field, um, you know, so, and this is that intersection of consciousness and, you know, the phenomenon. And, you know, I feel like there's a lot that can be done with the CE5 work to build up, let me start here. When I look at the contemplative traditions and I look at the magical traditions and the occult and the esoteric traditions, one thing that emerges over and over again is that the skills you need and want to have and cultivate are concentration. The ability to concentrate is super important. Um, the ability, to, and, and that's kind of like a focus of consciousness, also, there's like kind of like open awareness, right? The ability to just open um, awareness and consciousness. And if you, you might notice that this is basically shamatha and vipassana, right? Like those yeah. are, you know, yeah. but, but the magical traditions talk about it in their own way. The ability to focus, the ability to open and release. Um, and then imagination, the ability to visualize and, and create in a very detailed way. Right. So, so these are kind of three qualities of consciousness. There's others um, that show up across the esoteric, the magical, the contemplative and the non-dual traditions. Right. That the importance of cultivating these and different traditions might emphasize one more than another, or they might emphasize them in a, in a certain order. Like in some traditions, you start with concentration and then you go to open awareness or you start with open awareness and then you go to concentration. And so I get curious about like with CE5 protocols, 
how might we weave in the capacity for concentration? Like how might concentration amplify and support contact? How might open awareness amplify and support contact? How might imaginal modes and visualization support contact? So I'm very curious in a CE5 context, what are the things we might be doing with our mind, right? Like a mantra, sing, doing a, chanting a mantra in a CE5 context is often a way of concentrating consciousness, right? Giving it a singular focus that everyone's doing and it's amplifying and the sound. But what if we add a visualization to that? You know, what if we add a grounding somatic um, awareness practice, right? Like, so what are the different elements and ways of working with our embodied consciousness that might further support different kinds of contact? Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought all those points up. And I'll say from my experience, you know, the concentration aspect is really good for kind of like the initiation process, right? And that open awareness aspect is 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 excellent for observing things in the field, right? So there's different ways you can apply those and 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 different people are good, you know, I mean, for me, you know, different people will have different strengths and concentration or insight or open awareness, you know, rather than others because of their basic inclinations. Right. Um, but it's, I see different ways that you can, you can apply all those things in, in kind of contact work or CE five work. Now, um, regarding, uh, some of the, the experience or studies that you're going to do, or that you, um, with the super experiencers, are, are you going to include stuff like CE5 or field work potentially? Absolutely. I think, and that's where, you know, I want to like run the research design by people like you, right. To get that kind of input, like, oh, here's where you could include that. Or maybe there's, you know, an, in the in-depth interview, we ask people about their experiences with CE5 events to, you know, but absolutely, I think, you know, that's one key element to try and understand, you know, you know, how that might play a role with people's, you know, range of anomalous experiences. Um, and, you know, I mentioned, you know, when we were talking before, I'd lo love to have a doctoral a researcher, you know, do a dissertation on CE5 and, and, you know, play with a number of different variables to see what kinds of CE5 processes or protocols seem to be more effective and under what conditions and what size of group or like we're just talking about you know are there certain practices we do with our, our mind and our awareness that might you know help you know prime the space that enables contact to occur more clearly or more regularly or, or you know so yeah so i think there's a whole set of research that needs to be done on you know you know ce5 stuff um you know and also help you know you know to really make it more well-known so people become more aware of these possible modes of connecting. And for, for people that might be interested in um, meditation, say, uh, do you have any kind of beginner's advice on how you're going to embark on that journey? Yeah. You know, it's really interesting when you look at the meditation is something that's been science scientifically studied more than almost anything like it's really phenomenal when you look at the amount of research 
including like the, you know, um, brain scans and EEG work on meditators, you know, and kind of what's going on in their brains during meditation. But in addition to those studies, those brain studies, there's just been a lot of research on physiology, on psychology, and, and essentially there are over a hundred scientifically documented benefits to meditation, physiologically, emotionally, psychologically, and you know, spiritually or transcendentally. And what's interesting about the research on meditation is, you know, some research is using one type of meditation, another research is using another type of meditation. They're not all using the same forms or traditions of meditation, but the results keep coming in. And basically the meta-analysis suggests it doesn't matter what form of meditation you do. Pretty much any tradition of meditation is as good as another, at least, you know, initially the kind of getting things going. Um, and 20 minutes a day is kind of like the minimal, like that's kind of the, the, the amount you really want to aim for. So start wherever you have interest. Like if you're interested in Buddhism, you know, start there. If you're interested in, you know, other forms of, you know, witnessing awareness, you know, or other traditions of chanting, um, you know, or self-inquiry, like there's a lot of different types of meditative practice. Um, most of them are going to be useful because, um, and, and try and do it 20 minutes a day, you know, so start where there's interest and energy, and then, you know, you might shift and go in and try other practices, other traditions, you know, and, and I mean, I think you and I both have had a lifelong of exploration of lots of meditative practices and traditions. And it's, you know, so there's a lot to explore and consider. Um, I think sometimes people get stuck because it's so overwhelming, like, oh my gosh, you know, where do I begin? You know, just, you know, begin by counting your breath, you know, one through five, you know, <laughs> like, you know, begin just looking at, you know, a candle flame, you know, like there's so many, you know, begin by just naming the kinds of thoughts that are arising in your field of awareness, right? Like pretty much just go where it's easiest for you to go because usually meditation's hard because meditation is, is trying to dismantle our habits of mind, right? And like, that's the point of meditation, right? Like we have very bad habits of mind and we want to overcome and release those and, and have experiences of awareness that are not overly structured by the conditioning that we've acquired through throughout our life, you know, or even over multiple lives. Um, you know, so, you know, sometimes when I work with clients, I do a lot of coaching with executives um, and business um, folks. And, you know, and I just have them start simple, start, you know, start with three minutes a day, five minutes a day, like starting with 20 minutes a day is often too much for someone like that can be a goal to get to. So start like five minutes a day because it's hard to argue with five. We always have five minutes, right? Like it's much harder to come up with 20 minutes, but you start with five minutes, you do five minutes for one week and then the next week do six minutes and then the next week do seven minutes and just slowly inch that up to 20 minutes, right? Or 30 minutes. Right? Or if some days you don't have time for a full 20 or 30 minute, just do five minutes, right? In other words, like set yourself up for success, right? Like don't overcomplicate like, oh, I have to meditate 20 minutes a day or it doesn't count because then people stop doing it because life happens and it's hard to build that momentum or, or maintain that momentum. So, you know, keep it simple, you know, just chip away at it. Start where there's passion, interest and curiosity 
be an experiment. Try lots of different things. Talk to other people. Find out what works for them. You know, and and just keep at it because the more we work with our mind and our heart and our bodies in that kind of way, the better off we are. And there's so many benefits, like we're saying. Like, it's it's kind of like it's the cheapest. I mean, it's free, like wherever you, you can meditate, wherever you are, no matter what you're doing, right? It's very accessible. It's super inexpensive. And and the benefits are just, you know, over the moon. They're just being documented left and right. So there's so many good things that come from it. Yeah. You know, another benefit I would say is it almost prepares you or, or, or helps you to cope if you're having contact or anomalous experiences. Um, I think in some way it kind of helps condition you to be able to maneuver in those realms, so to speak. Um, So you're, you know, whether you're trying to initiate some kind of anomalous experience or one spontaneously occurs, you're, I think if you have that kind of practice and experience, you're more kind of well-equipped yeah and 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 being able to maneuver in those realms and totally yeah participate more clearly rather than just being a random observer you can be present in the moment and interactive in that way rather than just it happening to you exactly Um, yeah and this is so key like and this is i often make this point in a slightly different way with my you know corporate clients where they're facing a lot of complexity in their day-to-day business life, overwhelming complexity. And, and so I talk about the value of meditation by whatever name is it allows them to stay present in the face of these situations that are very stressful, very overwhelming. Um, and, you know, sometimes people just freak out, you know, it's just hard. It's like, you know, the stock market crashed or the, you know, the stock went down or we lost this major client or this person who's key part of my team, their dad just died. And so they quit because they're having to like just shift in their life. And like, and so now this big project we've been working on, like, I'm not sure if we can make the deadline. And so there's always these things that, you know, create freak out. Um, They're not anomalous experiences, but they're a similar level of stress and overwhelm. And so I, I really teach about working with the breath and meditation to stay calm present and and have metacognition available to you in the face of that situation right like how do you stay present in the eye of the storm and the same thing is true for what you were just saying in terms of um experiences with anomalous phenomenon right how do we stay calm how do we stay connected how do we keep our sensibilities about ourselves so that we we don't contract we don't um misinterpret or we reduce the amount of um story that we bring to it right so we we remain more open and receptive right and just stay with the process in a longer way be you know to see kind of how it emerges right so i think you know this is a big part of why bringing the contemplative traditions into the anomalous phenomenon realm is so that it can deepen and support us in our encounters with the phenomenon right so i think there's a whole range of things that can be better understood and explored by doing this. And the contemplative tradition themselves consistently document when you do these practices, you start to have anomalous experiences, right? So that's interesting as well, even though they tend to ignore or dismiss or, or you know, just kind of move on, right? But it's fascinating that these traditions and these practices of meditation actually open our awareness to start to have these experiences. So they themselves are a form of contact modality 
these meditative practices are contact modalities. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to that also is that they have, you know, they, their cosmology allows for, for these kinds of phenomena, you know, as part of the natural universe and world, right. It's part of the, um, the experience. And, um, you know, one, one thing I like about the, the practices is that, you know, it has a, a system built in that is supportive of these kind of experiences with like the eightfold path and the eight limbs of yoga, uh, I think are supportive of this kind of journey and inquiry. Um, because it's, again, it's more about the lifestyle altogether, not just, you're going to sit and do a meditation and either have an experience or an awakening or whatever. It's, it's much deeper than that. No. And there's this other layer too, where, the quality of consciousness that these beings have actually seems to echo the qualities of consciousness that are described by the masters in these contemplative traditions of like what we ourselves are kind of wanting to cultivate in our own human beingness. Right. So, so it's very interesting, like kind of like, What's the nature of their conscious? Like what kind of meditative practices do they do? How did they get these qualities of consciousness? Like how do they get these abilities? Like, you know, like, you know, what are the, the practices and traditions that they're working with, you know, to be who and what they are in their own ability to work with time and space and, you know, have, you know, you know initiate telepathic contact, right? So, so it's really interesting to consider like, you know, and maybe they don't meditate in the ways we meditate, but are there other kinds of practices they do? Like, how, how do they get these abilities? How How is it their consciousness is the way it is? Are they just born that way? Like, you know, or are they in a developmental process, right? Are they trained? Do they go through a, an educational process to cultivate and develop this these abilities? And are some better at some things than others, right? You know, and so like, you know, like, so it's, you know, it's just fascinating to try and sense into, you know, kind of these considerations. Yeah. And I mean, even in some of my experiences, uh, you know, it, it felt as if I was understanding or perceiving or even feeling their level of consciousness during the interaction. Like there was this kind of mind meld thing which right. was incredible like you're experiencing their state of being so to speak yeah. uh which is uh, incredible um but um i knew i know we do have a few minutes here so i i would like to ask do you have any other upcoming projects that you'd like to to mention no i mean i i, I probably do but i it's great to to share with you and your audience um the ones that I've, I've mentioned you know the masters and phd program if people are interested in you know being part of the next wave of you know academic and research on leadership on you know the upcoming um, Exo Studies Foundations course, a six-month community practice space. Um, the research on super experiencers that will be, you know, coming, you know, later this year, and you know the books I'm working on. Uh, so yeah, so it's been great to connect. And I'm curious, James, for you, 
kind of given all the people you talk with and, and just the kind of the insider view that you have given that and given what you see happening in the news and the momentum that's happening, kind of where, what's, what's bubbling up for you around, like kind of like what's top of mind? Like, is it around diving into the CE5 stuff and really working on that? You know, like, or, or something else kind of like given your bird's eye view and, and the way you have a pulse on this kind of where is that taking your creative energy? Wow. What are you wanting to do given everything it's like kind of you, you have a, a sense of? I mean, considering what I is is implied is is kind of in process and occurring. I mean, I, I try to do whatever I can and work where where I think is needed, and kind of the direction that I'm going in now is really trying to put information and awareness out there and available that is is going to be needed. <laughs> is going to be needed for you know as this develops um especially in regards to contact and the phenomenon and and contact work for sure um you know but also adding context to the conversation uh, and perspective so it's not an either or thing right so i i like to add to that part of the conversation that makes you know, the UFO phenomenon, disclosure, uh, contact, um, kind of, you know, it's not, it's not an either or thing. It's not black and white. There are nuances to it and everything kind of has a place. And so how do you work with that? Um, you know, and what, what frameworks are useful for you in, in engaging with it directly? Right. Yeah. So you can you can do all those things if, if you would like to. Uh, and there's and there's different ways to do that. But, it, you know, it comes down really to your perspective and your approach. And, you know, I, I think with everything going on. You have the UFO th kind of disclosure aspect of it, you know, even getting to, to nuts and bolts and, and crash retrievals and such. Um, but you know, what, what are the, what are going to be the following questions that people have when, when they understand that UFOs for definite are reality and, and humanity is, is being engaged by non-human intelligence and, and has been right. Cause I think that people are going to realize, you know, once, once it's a, it's official, so to speak that, you know, this, this is nothing new. Right. So there's yeah there, there's really a lot there and i think adding context but also kind of opening the conversation for contact and and what it is what it means and how to how to even engage with it personally if if you're looking at the news and you're like i don't i don't want to take whatever the media is is projecting and 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 take that on my own right how can i engage with the phenomenon directly or even engage with my research directly and have the direct experience of what it whatever it is that i'm inquiring in and and come to my own kind of um approach or conclusion or framework that's useful to me and and how to 
deal with this and or even participate and help work on it yeah. oh that's awesome yeah i always love like checking in with you know someone in your situation who's like an integrator right you're having all these conversations you know you have your own projects and passions you have stuff coming through you like you mentioned right at the beginning of our connecting today like you had this whole kind of thing happen around presenting around and you know kind of next steps to take Right. And so just the ways in which that just emerges is kind of like in a flash. Um, you know, so I'm always curious, you know, when someone kind of is in a situation like you, that's really in conversation with a lot of interesting people in the space, kind of like how, how is that serving as a catalyst for your own creative expression and contributing to us as a humanity to navigate, um, the emergence and, and recognizing that we're not alone, that this is a long, long-standing phenomenon and, you know, and just being part of, you know, kind of being on this planet, this moment, this historic moment where, you know, it seems as far as I can tell that in our lifetime, we're going to have confirmation like on a, you know, you know, on a large global scale, right? You know, whether we'll have open contact, you know, I'm hopeful, but, you know, I, I don't know. But it's like, what an interesting moment and to be part of this. And, you know, and your podcast, Gauging the Phenomena, has been so great. I've just loved everything you've done with it and just the, the topics and the guests. And I'm really pleased and honored to, to now be part of that lineup. Um, so, so, yeah, so just keep at it. And I'm excited to keep checking in and kind of seeing kind of what's emerging on your end, um, you know, as because you you yourself are your own kind of like point, you know, the phenomena is using you as a as a point in this process. So it's great to, to get a sense of that. Yeah, I appreciate that. And um, my, my friend, the hermetic penetrator would appreciate that perspective as well. Um, and uh, yeah, and you know, I, I also have to say, you know, during one of my contact experiences, I did get like the, again, the communication or download that felt very genuine that the, the UFO phenomenon wanted people to know that it was here. And that, you know, again, it was a kind of positive message, but at, at the same time, even, even if I step away from that or detach myself from it a bit, I, you know, I feel I'm having the different experiences and interactions that you know I, I almost feel like a, a responsibility to participate in this in this kind of way yeah you know uh, i think it's it's an incredibly important thing and 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 you know again ironically for i guess for me it, this this kind of path and and even the ufo subject and work in contact has been part of my dharma right, <laughs> right. so that's um you know, for, for what that is. Um, so I, I you know, I, I th also think it's in incredibly intriguing and fascinating. So I'm, I'm happy to be able to participate and, and be able to connect with people like you and, you know, Jay Christopher King and, and uh, Leslie Kane and all the other wonderful people that we, we have, you know, come together to kind of inquire about this issue with. Um, but do you have any any kind of uh, parting words for the audience? Um, before we go there, I'd love just to hear. I, I'm excited for this third event that you have coming up in April. Yeah, is that it's uh, scheduled in April? Yeah. 
Um, and great lineup. And you know, the last two have been amazing. And it was wonderful to be part of the first. And I'm also curious, do you guys have a fourth one in, in the works? Is, is, is there more to come after the third? Or is you're not a, at liberty to say yet? I, I mean, I, I'll just say I, if there was a, a fourth one, I wouldn't be surprised okay. at all. Awesome. <laughs> um, so in response to your final question there, yeah, I think my parting words are hearing you speak and just feeling the ways in which you're following your soul path, your dharma, like you're, you're just you're being led by this kind of intuitive sense of this is what I need to do. This is how I can contribute. This is how I want to participate. Like I, I think you doing the show and, and your audience seeing you, you know, constantly show up and kind of be an expression of kind of your core beingness, right? Like so, and and I'm in my own way doing that with the exo studies and creating the, you know, um, online you know program, you know, the public program and the accredited degrees, and so my parting words is like I think the more all of us can just lean into like, what is our soul impulse, you know, around the phenomenon and how we want to participate, how we want to contribute, how we want to be in relationship to it and to keep just leaning into it. Because I know for me, it's been very uncomfortable in the, and on many levels. And, you know, it's like, it's not easy. Sometimes I'm embarrassed. I don't know how to talk about it. I don't, you know, I, what are people going to think? I mean, it's, it's not like it's just all, you know, rainbows and unicorns. It's like, you know, it's confusing. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, there's so many aspects of it. But I find that the more like people like you and I just lean into it and just go, okay, this is what reality seems to be asking of me. And I'll just, I'll show up and do the best I can, kind of fumbling forward, right? And so I really encourage everyone who's listening to, you know, continue to do that in their own way and trust, trust that impulse, you know, be willing to talk about your experiences or the phenomena or your interest, you know, with people, maybe you haven't yet done that, because I found the more I've opened up, yes, there's been naysayers, and there's been people that have given me a funny look. But more often than not, I've been met by people saying, you know, I had this experience or, you know, I used to be really interested in that when I was younger and I'm still interested in it, but I never admit it to anyone. Right. So I, I found like the more we can be ambassadors for each other, you know, and the people in our life and, and the, that brings the taboo down. And the more the taboo comes down, the more we can talk about this in an open, curious, reflective way. And the more we can do that, the more we're going to have confirmation, discovery, disclosure and contact. So, so follow your soul's impulse, right? Even when it's a little uncomfortable, <laughs> that's, yeah. those are my parting words. For sure. Well, I, I really love your work. I appreciate everything you're doing. Uh, I, I would definitely love to have you on again soon. Um, especially when you have those things, some of those things getting ready to gear up and go out and uh, start yeah. up. Yeah, that would be great. And uh, yeah, I, we definitely at some point got to do some kind of contact retreat or or something like that. Yeah, That'd like meditation fantastic. and contact. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, some of my some of my favorite things. <laughs> yeah, like imagine doing like two or three hours of meditation during the day, and then do some CE five contact work, then do another two or three hours of meditation, and then do sky gazing, 
right? Imagine that combo yeah. for three days, you know, or, or longer. So yeah, I yeah. would love to put together a retreat um, like that with you or others. So keep me in mind and reach out kind of if and when you're kind of ready to start to pull that together. For sure. So thank you so much for coming and I'll speak to you next time. Awesome, James. Good luck. Great to Take see care. you today. Likewise. Bye now.